You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Cute E. Hello, David. You just gestured to all of me, Will. (laughs) (laughs) And hello, listeners. Welcome to the very first episode of Cute E. It's Cute E. Yeah. This is an idea we have talked about mostly with our on our patron stuff about doing for a while. Yes, yeah, so we've thrown this idea around and mainly driven by the fact that there's a bunch of mythical story creatures akin to monsters in many ways, but not very monstrous. <laughs> the shtick of spooky every year is that we pick monsters. It's in October. It's a Halloween thing to then speculatively evolve. And that means that we end up having to leave out a bunch of stuff that doesn't fit at all. So hence cute E the version where we get to do the other stuff. Yeah, where we get to have fun with some cute and adorable and just sweet creatures. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the normal series, this is looking at the speculative evolution, the cute-cute-to-live... It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well as speculative. It doesn't have a full name. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to look at the evolutionary questions of some cute creatures. Yes, and sticking with our theme of the Mm -hmm. year... We're still on dragons. Here we are picking a cute version of dragons, but we will be taking the same course of action of saying, what are its traits? How could something as cute as that evolve (laughs) in real life under real world natural selection and evolutionary processes? What would its history be? How could we get something so adorable? This will be our last episode of this spooky cutie season. And then next Saturday on the 11th, We will have our live stream at 3 p.m., so check in for that. You can find all the details on our website. But without further ado, let's jump in and talk about something cute. This episode, as you've seen in the title, we are talking about friendly dragons. Because that's kind of the the category of dragon that I think of when I think of cute dragons is the companion dragons, the friend dragons for kids and goes on adventures with with people and, you know, saves the day sort of stuff. Yeah, it's sort of a dragon trope. Mm -hmm. It's not a type of dragon the same way that, like, wyverns are, and it's not a specific dragon like the Tarrasque, but it is a recurring theme in dragon myths and pop culture. Of the the Barney the Dinosaur-esque dragon. Yeah, the (laughs) cute, friendly, buddy dragon. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about them. And what their features are, because they are kind of surprisingly consistent. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot in common there. Now, in our previous episodes of Spooky, we talked about some more traditional forms of dragon. And there are friendly dragons, you know, benevolent dragons is probably a better term, in, like, historical myths of those kinds of dragons. Mm -hmm. You know, so not all dragons are monstrous, not all of them are terrible. Right, this came up in the East Asian Dragons episode where we talked about how a lot of them in their mythos are benevolent, helpful creatures. Yes, that's by far the one where that is most commonly the theme. Many East Asian dragons are associated with, you know, good fortune or luck, good attributes, you know, noble attributes. Mm -hmm. Many of them are deities themselves or companions and allies of the deities. So, like, very commonly that they are, if not friends with humanity at least very important to the survival and functioning of the world and, you know, the the balance of things. So, like, good dragons very often. Right. In contrast to your European dragons, wyverns, which are classically monsters, even though a lot of, especially more recent pop culture, is loaded with those kinds of dragons being companions and friends and stuff like that. Historically, they were often, if not evil themselves, at least... To be defeated. Yes. They were monsters to be slain by the hero. They weren't there to be be made friends of. There are other examples. We talked about Tiamat, the Mesopotamian god that is often portrayed as a dragon in modern culture, but gave birth to monsters, many of which were Mm dragon-esque. She was not inherently an evil god. Her original stories were that she was part of the creation of everything Mm -hmm. and was an embodiment of the chaos of creation and later on became the embodiment of chaos in a negative sense. But a lot of old school dragons were good. 
There were even some of those European dragons that we talked about, the Darkens from the Bulgarian myths, where the males were protective of society. And there are some Macedonian dragons that are often described as being intelligent and guardians of at least a territory, sometimes the people in that territory as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they get some of the protection by proxy. But as you mentioned, nice dragons has really much more of a modern media thing. And this happens with all sorts of monsters where the monster gets created, they get popular, we start to like the monster, and then we go, well, I want to be friends with a vampire. What if a cute one? Yeah, I don't I don't want to I don't want to kill him. That's cool. <laughs> so we have lots of friendly dragons in media. Though in my mind, they kind of break down into two kind of categories. Dragons that are nice, and then the friendly dragons that we were talking about earlier kind of are in their own category because there's tons of dragons that are normal dragons like we described in the previous episodes of just looks like a dragon that is befriended by the main character usually. Right. This is a fun discussion with Spooky because we are we get to be a little bit we get to set the category yes. for ourselves here a little bit. <laughs> We're being quite arbitrary for the purposes oh, yes. of getting to talk about the cute stuff. It is incredibly <laughs> arbitrary, but <laughs> since we're setting the rules, I we have... Are, this is our game. Arbitrated that this is now the categories. So, explain. So, nice dragons, these are going to be things like how to train your dragon. Yep. Where that is people finding wild dragons and taming them and befriending them. There's lots of others where you have sentient dragons, where they're just dragons, and it's just kind of personality by personality, whether or not they're a jerk or they're nice. Right. You know, so Flight of Dragons, Dragon Hearts are those where they are just basically people that are in the shape of a dragon, and some of them are nice. Some of them you can hang out with and befriend. Right. Well, Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. dragons have that where some of them are evil, some of them are good, but then it also kind of varies individual to individual. You have tons of European dragons that are like this. Those All of those examples are mostly European style, mm -hmm. four legs and two wings. Though How to Train Your Dragon was the only example I could come across, or notable example, of friendly wyverns. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. there's a bunch of different types of dragons. Yes within the series and they've got uh, they've got wyverns in the in an interesting way because they have the four you know four leg crawling wyverns which are your uh, monstrous nightmares then they also have bipedal wyverns which are the deadly natters so it's kind of interesting that they have both varieties of mobility with wyverns yeah uh, but that's the only one I could find with friendly wyverns. And I think it's partially because nowadays dragons are often wyverns in movies but they're often in the live action movies where you don't befriend them, where they're yeah. monsters. I don't know. But yeah, I could not find many cartoon friendly wyverns. Yeah, there are a handful of wyvern Pokemon. Yes. Noibat and Noivern, mm -hmm. which would count. Pokemon are kind of by default friendly. Yes, exactly. Uh, working with humans. So there's a, there's a couple others. So the, yeah, there are definitely ones out there. I found one movie called The Christmas Dragon, which is a, a, looked like a very like made for TV, high fantasy Christmas movie. Huh. Where they befriend a young wyvern that helps them save Christmas. <laughs> um, but other than that, there are other examples of other kinds of dragons. The two that I found uh, for our, our other categories was Haku from Spirited Away was my first thought for a friendly East Asian dragon yeah. of just a good example of a, a benevolent, helpful dragon that befriends the main character. Uh, and then the only example I could think of for dragon turtles or dragon turtle-esque things were the lion turtles yes. from Avatar. The lion turtles, which is, which is what I referenced mm -hmm. at the top of that episode. Yep, yep. And like... There's, I'm sure there are other examples. Bowser is close. Bowser's it, friendly occasionally. Yeah. Right. Well, when you're <laughs> when playing he, sports. When he wants to be. When you're playing sports. Well, he doesn't you know. want to be left out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's a good sport. He spent all the money on this, on this go-kart. Yeah, exactly. You know, might as well use it. Uh, he's just less friendly <laughs> in a political sense. Right. <laughs> um, those, in my mind, all kind of fall under the nice dragon category. Friendly dragons have a very characteristic look to them very often, and it's fairly consistent. The things that first come to mind for me, going back to Pokemon, Dragonite. Dragonite is kind of a classic example of this friendly dragon shape. Yes, that a little bit more rotund, usually bipedal, mm -hmm. chunky tails, often smaller wings and smaller horns. Yep, that round nose. Yep, uh, shorter snouts and more rounded. Big, All, big eyes yep. and that little smile. And Dragonite's a great example because I, I went and pulled up some of its Pokedex. And even its Pokedexes are like, it's a kind Pokemon yeah, that saves, saves people from saves the ocean. Saves people at sea, yeah. helps people out. Yep. So like, it is 
a friendly dragon all the way through. Another one that fits this category that I just had to put out there because I know this will like ping a bunch of nostalgia memories for Dragon Tales, Mm -hmm. that old cartoon. Those are friendly dragons through and through. Like they've got the whole aesthetic going. Devin and Cornwall from Quest for Camelot. Spyro's kind of an interesting category because Spyro Mm -hmm. himself is just dragon shaped, but he's got tiny wings, but otherwise just a four legged dragon. All the dragons you save from the statues yes. are friendly dragons. In that that same sort of cartoon yeah. kind of exaggerated features. So, just curves. Yes. There's a lot of curves to them as opposed to the sharp edges of tr- more traditional dragons. Which is what we typically do with friendly and villain characters. It's Absolutely. An, it's an artistic style to denote these are safe. They have kid-friendly edges to them. Yes. These are not safe. They are sharp. You would cut your it's you would why, cut yourself on their cheekbone. It's why the genie is all round mm-hmm. and blue and Jafar is spiky and red. Exactly. And off that example, Disney has tons of friendly dragons. Yep. They are really good at friendly dragons. There's three that I think of. Figment is very popular nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Figment, the purple imaginary dragon. But my favorite is... The Reluctant Dragon before that, even older than Peach Dragon, which is what I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Yeah, Peach Dragon Peach Dragon, the invisible dragon that saves little Elliot. The Reluctant Dragon is a movie from the 1940s based on a story from from 1898 and is about a boy who meets a poetry-loving dragon, becomes friends, but then when the dragon gets found out by the town, the local knight, Sir George, is sent to slay the dragon Mm -hmm. but then when they meet they realize they have a lot in common so they decide not to fight but to fake the fight so that the town is satiated and he they fake the win he stabs the dragon through a a fold in his skin the town celebrates but not everyone it specified this because some of them bet on the dragon (laughs) and then sir george comes back to the town and says the dragon is reformed and we can now all be friends. And the animated I, movie... I beat him into submission, and now yep. he's a good dragon. And the, the anime movie, it's one of my favorites. I used to watch it as a kid all the time. <laughs> and that is that is my brain's archetypical image of a friendly dragon. Yeah. All of these have those characteristics. They're almost all bipedal. They're walking around on their back legs. They've got big, chunky tails. Like, thick tails. Yeah, like crocodilian. Yeah. Beefy tails. But it makes me think of like uh, leopard geckos where they have like that yeah, yeah. fat storage tail. Usually small or missing wings, mm-hmm. uh, even though a lot of them can still fly. Right. They don't have those big nope. blot out the sun wings. Like usually their wings are smaller than their arms. Like yeah. itty like bitty. T- like too small to fly. With. Yes. Even, even though no dragon should mm-hmm. be able to fly if we're being really real yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, off of physics. These are like, no, Dragonite, there's no way. Yeah. Exactly. There's no way you're using those to fly. Like these are a little bit bigger than your palms sometimes. Yes. Often smaller horns, like we mentioned, and droopy ears. Lots of them have droopy ears. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. This also, a lot of these go for a lot of the friendly East Asian dragons. Mushu from Mulan, mm-hmm. who is bipedal, doesn't have wings, but they usually don't have wings. Right. And he's not chunky because he's an East Asian dragon, but he's got floppy ears and short horns and a more rounded shorter snout yeah well he's also meant to be scrawny Mm -hmm. that's kind of his thing as opposed to a lot of these dragons and you've you've mentioned them being chunky that gut yes they've got a A gut to them yeah they're 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 round they are rotund in the midsection yep yep uh really the one that breaks the most with this which is probably one of the most famous is falcor from the never-ending story yes our friendly east asian style dragon yep but Falcor's also just got a friendly dog face. Well, and that kind of does tie into, <laughs> when you say droopy ears, Yes, I, one of the ways that when we create creatures to be cute, we pull on things that we already know that everybody thinks is cute. Yes. So making a dragon that's basically just a dog, it is an extremely winning strategy. Which is where my brain first goes to when looking at these features. So I wanted to go over a little bit on the concept of domestication. Mm-hmm. A lot of these features are domestication features, which, as you point out, are dog features, which is why we put them on characters that we want to find endearing and, and you know, be able to emotionally connect with. We've talked about domestication on the podcast before. The whole episode, episode 27. And there is something called the domestication syndrome, mm-hmm. 
certain traits seem to show up more frequently in domesticated animals. And there's also traits for plants as well. But yes, with animals, there are group of traits that become more common for some reason with domesticated animals. Some there's some answers to some are kind of mysterious as to why exactly that's showing up when that's not being selected for. Floppy ears is very common. Mm-hmm. You know, ears becoming more droopy. A more varied coat color. You yep. know, getting more patches and splotches and uh, spots. Smaller brain sizes often mentioned, but also shorter muzzle mm-hmm. with typically smaller and fewer teeth. Diminished horns was mentioned. Yes, in, in the case <laughs> of things like sheep, mm-hmm. cows, stuff like that. And they tend to be smaller and less aggressive, which is, you know, because we domesticated them and Mm. wanted to make them friendly. That is something we are often selecting for, is less violent or aggressive tendencies. Absolutely. And part of the reason I wanted to mention domestication is why I categorized the nice dragons from the friendly dragons, because most of those nice dragons are examples of taming, Mm -hmm. not domestication. Taming is where you catch an animal, you know, a wild horse... And then get it used to human presence and get it used to certain behaviors so that now you can work alongside this animal, but its genetics hasn't changed from what the other wild horses have. And it's an interesting distinction because it is a perfectly reasonable thing for a group of animals to not have changed at all, but just be tolerant of being around people. Yes, they just learn. There are tons of species that are like that. That's how we work with elephants, and it's how we work with all sorts of things. Nothing has changed about them. So a lot of those nice dragons feel like, it's. oh yeah, that's just a dragon, yep. but it happens to be nice, or it happens to be really smart and it talks, or whatever. But there is this archetype of friendly dragons that seems to be more akin to something that has evolved in that direction or specialized in that direction and domestication is a cool example in the real world of things evolving in a direction that we then point at and call cute yes exactly and friendly yes because we we have selected for those things that we find cute Mm -hmm. and endearing that makes them that much more appealing to us so when we're thinking about evolving our friendly dragons we are thinking beyond just they happen to be nice there is something different and special going on with these dragons. Which is also an important thing to note because the traits of an animal that make them more ideal to be domesticated are also unique. They are also something that you don't find in every group. That's why we haven't just domesticated every animal on the planet. Some are incre- would be incredibly hard, if not impossible, to domesticate mm-hmm. because they don't have the traits that make it easy. We talked about this as well in the domestication episode. This includes things like their diet. You know, if they have an incredibly specialized diet, they might be hard to domesticate because it's harder to feed them. Their growth rate. If they take more than a human lifetime, you know, to finish a, a, their lifespan, it's hard for us to breed them multiple times in their generations and means that they might not reach an age where we can actually work with them in a time that's actually feasible. You know, cats and dogs reach maturity in a very short amount of time compared to us. So we can have an adult dog that now we can actually go, you know, herding with and hunting with in, in a reasonable amount of time. Ability to breed in captivity, you know, that they're not needing extremely specialized breeding conditions. Calm demeanor, you know, in general, you know, not some animals tend to panic as a defensive mechanism. Others have a less panicky reaction. And then how social are they? Mm-hmm. A social structure that we can now... Adapt and adjust to work with us now as a feature of it is important. Non-social animals are much harder to domesticate because they don't have that social behavior. So it would mean that these friendly dragons likely had some amount of these before they became the friendly dragons we think of, which brings up all sorts of questions about the evolution of social behavior and stuff, which is heavily studied because there's certain aspects of social behavior that make perfect sense, like working together as a team to get food or to defend yourselves makes perfect sense. But then like helping each other at the cost to yourself, altruism is something that has often been studied because it doesn't always seem to make sense from an evolutionary standpoint of if it is not beneficial to you, why are you giving up your food? And things have been put forth of, you know, reciprocity that if you help, they're more likely to be alive to maybe help you when you need it. And then you know, things like kin selection, where if we're related and we share genetics, 
helping you helps because at least some of my DNA might survive if I don't. And all of these things I bring up because these are social dragons. That's, mm-hmm. In the term friendly, <laughs> they are social. They, they are friendly and like to be around people and interact with people. So these are dragons that have seemingly, for some reason, become very social, very personable animals, potentially to have been domesticated, it seems, maybe. So in my mind, that's the situation we're working with. Before we get into discussing how that might have happened or how that might happen with our dragons that mm-hmm. we <laughs> evolved, at least one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go do our magic disclaimer. because yep. It's a lot of magic dragons <laughs> in these. One of them is called a magic dragon. Yes. Who we've already mentioned. Exactly. Like <laughs> Friendly dragons tend to be much more like actually sparkly magical than... Yes. A lot of other dragons at they're times. They're turning invisible. Mm-hmm. They're do. They're flying with their tiny wings. Yes, they're floating sometimes without any wing. Like they're just yep. doing magic. Uh, Figment is made out of imagination. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All of which are difficult things to address. Yes. within the bounds of biological natural selection. We will not be constructing them out of happy thoughts. We right. will not be having them turn invisible and potentially not exist to just save uh, small children. Like. <laughs> We are going to have to pare down some of their magical abilities, but we now have the question of how would we get a dragon with these features that is friendly and sociable and prone to being able to be around people or be domesticated by people? Mm-hmm. And which of our dragons that we evolved in our previous episodes would be the best fit to go down this evolutionary direction yeah like you mentioned at the top of the episode this is a it's a weird dragons has been a little weird oh yes this has been an interesting this has been an unusual season of spooky and then we've kind of come at it from some different angles and there exists the possibility of course for cutie episodes that work the traditional way it's just a creature this is a weird one we're getting a little bit of a different approach here we are thinking about a trajectory of evolution Mm -hmm. how do we end up with creatures and i think it's a it's a really cool thought of what about our dragons that we have now evolved this year of spooky how do we get these sort of things because because we would have to come up with that background for our cutie dragon anyway and since we have four we got some dragons brilliant backgrounds i think extremely well thought out uh a couple people put uh, at least 20 minutes into coming up with these ideas so I think that the starting point, like you said, is getting dragons into a position where they can develop these features. Yes. So some of the common features that we're talking about here in terms of behavior, social behavior. Big one. Also intelligence. Yes. Intelligence in that very human way that we like to think about, that social intelligence. Mm -hmm. Potentially problem-solving kind of stuff. Right. Understanding what others in your social group are thinking about, being able to respond to the emotions of others. This is a thing that we see in animals that are extremely sort of social, have complex social behavior. Yes, we see increases in those particular cognitive abilities that you now need to keep track of multiple individuals in your group you need to keep track of who you're friends with and who you're not friends with yes and all the things you need to do to try to succeed in this group now i think that it is a very easy starting point to start with uh animals that already have a reason to be extremely social yep yep there are a handful of different angles to go on this there are animals that are social in like the major social way, like yes. herding, mm-hmm. right? Cows and horses are social in this way where they are adept at operating in a massive group. There's also things like a lot of primates that mm-hmm. live in small family or a, a handful of different families in a group together. But there is also another angle on social behavior, which is parental care. Yes, a lot of animals that end up developing these features we're talking about also are animals that are really good at parenting. Yep, yeah, well, like, like that's wolf packs are typically a mating pair and their offspring. Yes. So that's a big family. And one of the things that we kept coming back to 
in our dragon discussions was the idea of that mythos of dragons guarding treasures, keeping lairs as being part of their reproductive strategy. Yes. That our, especially our European dragons Mm -hmm. and our wyverns, we return to this idea of some of them being really good parents. Yes. So parental care is a great starting place. Herding is also a really great point Mm -hmm. because that is a... Excellent. Or, or flocking, yes, as the case yep, may yep. be for some of our creatures. <laughs> a horde of dragons. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a, That's a really great way to go because that also is very common as all the examples you listed showed in herbivores. Because yep. now we are... Now it's a defensive strategy. Yes, we can now be safety in numbers. One of us is more likely to spot the predator if there's a dozen eyes mm-hmm. looking instead of each of us on our own. And when we do get attacked, maybe we can fight it off. So an an herbivorous dragon would also be, you know, with good parental care and a reason to band together. Yes. In that sense. Another aspect of social behavior is this tolerance of other individuals, but also other species. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. That's, that's a very important thing. If we have, if we're inventing groups of animals that are good at interacting with humans, Mm -hmm. you have to be good at interacting with other species, which for some groups of animals operates because they live in ecosystems where there's just inevitably going to be other species that you have to interact with. You're not the only herd on the, on the plains. Exactly. Or sometimes even a symbiotic relationship. Yep, yep. The idea that you hang around this other species on purpose. That other species is the one that makes the alarm calls mm-hmm. when a predator shows up. Or that other species is the one that digs, that, that disturbs the nest that all your food is going to come out of. Yep, yep. Or whatever. Yes. And I'm thinking about our dragons that we created. A lot of our dragons lean in the predatory line of things. Absolutely. Our wyverns are pterosaurs, who we could certainly have as a flocking thing. Mm-hmm. There is fossil evidence of some pterosaurs using communal nesting grounds. Yes, so they were at least gre- gregarious at at minimum, that yes. they were grouping together. Our European dragons are many and varied, but included among them, we have those that make dens and mm-hmm. are good parents. I'm coming around to our turtle dragons, though. That, yep. Because it's the one that we've mentioned that is explicitly herbivorous mm-hmm. because they are glyptodonts and we, we related them to hippos. Yep, yep. And so we've got that sort of social aspect because their whole deal as we invented them was about intraspecies interactions and competition and stuff like that. But they are also, as we related them to hippos, highly aggressive and violent animals. Yep. Like we, we made them that way on purpose to get some of those features that we wanted. So that would be an interesting case where we would have to have a either a path for them to dull those mm-hmm. aspects of their behavior. Or it could be that like so we, we also talked about elephant seals in mm-hmm. that episode. And among elephant seals, there are the big fighty combaty males but there are also males that are much smaller and don't do a lot of that they are different reproductive strategies you could have a scenario where you have multiple reproductive strategies and then the less aggressive violent one becomes the more prominent one over time in a certain population that removes some of that hyper aggression that comes with that competitive behavior that we described for our species. Absolutely. And what makes me think of, uh, I think it was bonobos or was it, oh, I don't remember which primate it was, uh, but there was studying of a population that was dominated by a bunch of aggressive males. And then they went scavenging at a dumpster, I think. And the male, the aggressive males eat first and ended up eating a bunch of rancid meat and dying, <laughs> which only left the more submissive males that had been below them in rank and the females. And then that, that family group persisted with that dynamic and no more aggressive males showed up. Mm-hmm. They, were, they didn't step in to replace that, that vacuum, a new dynamic stepped in. So you could definitely get like a population bottleneck that for some reason favors the females and the 
uh, less aggressive males. Yeah. And now you have a population that is surprisingly benign for that group. And if that happened with our turtle dragon, we might expect that all of those features that we went out of our way to find reasons for them to evolve powerful tails and big teeth and all that stuff could become diminished. Yes. As they are less important for display, they're less important for competition. And now they're going to start just looking like normal glyptodonts, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> but it's definitely, I, I, I like that route for getting them to be more more social and less aggressive. I guess then some of the next questions is the, the, the body type. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking, mm-hmm. how do we get the... Now, in our European dragons, yep. we already established that a number of our lineages could be small winged yes. lineages. That's where my brain initially went to was with them. They're, they are lizard adjacent, which we already have things like monitor lizards that can stand up and you know raise on oh, their back legs yep. and prop up on the tail to usually to wrestle each other. But you know if we have an herbivorous variety, they could be propping up Ground sloth style and getting at food and plants up in the branches. Ground sloth style is an excellent direction to go Mm -hmm. because ground sloths are already shaped the shape that we want them to be. Yes. Yep. Like they are already (laughs) rotund with the big back legs. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of a high foraging Mm -hmm. member of 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 our lizard dragon lineage. That evolves to live like ground sloths or like therizinosaurs. Yes. Where now you're freeing up your arms to manipulate branches and stuff. It gives you a reason to have a muscular tail to prop back on. Yep. And then if you're storing food there, it can just be extra girthy. Yep. So you have that big thick tail. And if you are big and herbivorous, it fully tracks that you might be living in herds mm-hmm. or be, I mean, the two groups of animals that we've used as comparisons here, sloths and therizinosaurs are both good parent. Mm-hmm. Great. Cause dinosaurs and mammals are good parents. Yep, yep. Oh, this click. Cause I had a moment of like, what would get them to group together? And the, the fat, the, the tail fat storage gave them the idea of at least, you know, I know there are other lizards that do this, but, most of the lizards that come to my mind for thick-tailed and fat storage are desert lizards mm-hmm. because you don't know when you're going to find food and water. Right. So you bulk it up. Like, I remember that, that would happen with my lizard is if we, you know, weren't able to get food for a little bit, I would watch the tail shrink and then I'd feed and just watch the tail get thicker and thicker again. Yep. So if they were desert, maybe we've got kind of like a desert elephant thing going where we are we group together because we're having to move from oasis to oasis. Mm. There's not enough food for us to be spread out because you're not likely to find it on your own. But if you stick with us, we're heading to the next oasis. We'll get there in safety, and then we will browse there until there's nothing left, and we'll go on to the next one. Yeah. So you get these roaming bands. I also like the idea that it kind of follows the elephant track because I'm thinking about size. Mm-hmm. And the bigger you are, you lose out on that fast reproduction style that we talked about being good if we want to go in a domestication direction. But if you're big, you also need less in the way of horns and claws and stuff to defend yourself. Yes. You can be a little bit more nonchalant. Obviously, elephants have tusks, which are largely Mm -hmm. part of their mating and display structures. But an elephant doesn't need to be sharp edges. Yeah, yeah like a female it's, elephant isn't safe <laughs> to be around. <laughs> right. It's, so the idea of these animals that are big enough to not have any major threats in their environment and successful enough to be able to get the food and stuff that they need, they have those adaptation strategies, could lead to those sort of softer features Also, animals without a whole lot to worry about. This is a completely anecdotal, like, just from the stories I've heard. Mm -hmm. There also seems to be a trend where the animals that have the least to worry about in their environment often also end up being animals that end up doing weird creative. Yes. Or or like adopting species, you Mm -hmm. know, babies of other species. That's often something we see in those very successful groups of animals where they are particularly large or particularly successful and it feels like they have that 
cognitive space yes. to yes. do stuff like that. Well, and, and uh, if they are, like, having to remember oases and watering holes, that's a, a driver for stronger memory. That's true. And stronger uh, pattern recognition. So that's another category for yeah. that. If you're relying on your social group to help you survive in a harsher environment, that is a driver for stronger, more complex social behaviors. Yes, yes. Uh, I also, the comparison to elephants made me think of their little wings being like their ears, like elephant ears to, to disperse, like cool heat. them down. Yeah. Oh, I like that a so that, lot. So that gives them a reason to flap, to <laughs> yeah, flap their no. wings, even it, though they will never fly. Yeah. It can also be a display thing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that idea. But that you would often, if you saw them in the distance walking, you just see them all flapping. It's like, where do you think you're going to go? Well, you're, you're, not, you're not taking off with that. Silly dragons. Big ground sloth body. I love this idea of a lineage of our lizard dragons that becomes sort of like this dry forest, more arid habitat, ground sloth-like body shape Mm -hmm. that becomes very social, good parents, and all that stuff. Also, there's something really nice about having a desert or arid lineage because a bunch of our like famous cute animals also come from places like that. Yep, yep. Most notably, that's where cats come from. Yep, yep. Like like the the ancestors of our domesticated cats are from like the desert and nearby regions of the Middle East. Yeah. No, I, I like this a lot. And then if you know you mentioned like the the bigger animals not tending to grow and breed as quickly, you know, so that does make domestication a little trickier. But if this group become successful enough, you could get lineages branching off into surrounding more forested areas Mm -hmm. that now have retained the social behavior, retained the plant eating, but now they don't need to be as big. They can get a little smaller in a forested area. Now you've got just little social dragon goats. Yeah. You know, that's, that is ideal for people to, and so you could have people taming the big ones, but then you actually could get smaller subspecies that could be very easily domesticated yeah i also really like the comparison to elephants Mm -hmm. that memory that social structure because elephants also have the real world mythos of elephants is as benevolent wise animals that are revered for their intelligence not only and it's a social intelligence it is benevolence in the, you know, air quotes, don't go make friends with an elephant. No, no, no. They will absolutely like, step on an animal that gets in right. their way. <laughs> but the idea is like, yeah, every now and then you'll see an elephant help out another creature for for no apparent reason other than that it wanted to. Yeah. But also that awareness, like you said, remembering where the idea that people living in this region with these fictional sloth dragons could develop this cultural understanding that like, yeah, when stuff gets difficult, follow the dragons. Yep. Yep. They will lead you to an oasis. They know where all this stuff is. They're really good at that. Well, and you could get things where like, you know, uh, like those dolphins that fish alongside the shore with with the net tossing anglers and they drive the fish in close to make it easier to be caught in the nets. But then the people toss some of the fish back. And so you could get moments where it's like, all right, it's that time of year any day now the dragon should be getting here and then they are going to help us dig up the well. Yes. We're going to let them drink first, but then once they head on to the next oasis, we will have, and so we've cleared, you know, they know to wait for us to show them, you know, where, or like to clear the area and we help each other because they find the water for us. And we actually reference that or something very similar to it with the dolphins and the fish in our discussion of the East Asian dragons Mm -hmm. as a reason for people to have a close relationship with them because our East Asian dragons are fish. Yep. Yep. Uh, These are aquatic creatures, but you could have a similar situation where we are frequenting the same coasts Mm -hmm. and you get these lineages that are very tolerant of interacting nearby people and even helping each other out yes. in this sort of symbiotic way. Well, you absolutely could get things where like a population of people you know, maintains the, the waterway that you reproduce in. And yeah. like you have that sense of, no, no, you help protect our young. And so we, we see you as, as safe to be around. So you absolutely could get those kind of interactions. 
I do really like the thought. So we we're talking about domestication or these these close relationships evolving between humans and other species. One of the very common versions of this, and we see this with early dogs, with early cats, with mice and rats, is that these are species that start living in spaces where humans are already living. Yes. They come into the town, they eat the garbage, they're eating the scraps, and it benefits those species to be tolerant, non-aggressive, easy to be around, looking in a way that is appealing to humans. Yep, yep. Because that that makes it easier for humans to then deal with them being in their space. Yes. I think that that is absolutely an angle we could go with our dragons if we wanted to. But I also love the thought of it happening the other way around. Mm -hmm. That these dragons of ours, in some of our cases, have their living space. Yep, yep. That they maintain, in that sort of elephant ground sloth way of like, this is our territory, this is our oasis, this is this. And humans start living, moving into their space Mm -hmm. to take advantage of their scraps or their shelters that they leave behind or whatever. And the humans are developing these cultural behaviors that make it easier for the dragons to put up with their presence. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) So that in those the humans are the domesticated ones, so to speak, yeah. that allows these species to sort of develop these close ties together. No, I would love that if we realized, wow, it, if you're trying to survive in the desert, the dragons are the ones to hang out with. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, you know, it comes for them to nest and they start making their, you know, communal nests. And then we go, well, I, I, I can go grab a whole bunch of you know, plant material rocks or whatever you're making your nest out of. Mm-hmm. And uh, here you go. And the, the dragons have that moment of like, I mean, cool. I, it was weird when you started approaching my nest, but you've brought five great rocks. And right. so I'm going to let you keep doing it. <laughs> and then just at, over generation, it's now they expect they, you know, nest season comes in and the dragons kind of look to the people of like, all right, your turn. Yep. Like now it's your turn to do the part of our, yep. our interaction. I could also see a situation developing where, You know, there are symbiotic relationships in nature where one organism will intentionally provide for another organism Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's beneficial for that other species to be here. Yes. I'm going to put extra food out here mm -hmm. because I want these bugs or whatever it is to be around because if they're around, they keep the other parasites away or something like that. Well, it's like uh, I know muskrats will hang out in beaver dens and they don't help build it. But they will help, like, gather food. Where it's like, I don't, yeah. I'm not a beaver. I can't make a beaver dam. It's a, I can't do that. I can go grab some reeds, though, and pull them in here. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there you go. You can also do that, but I can do it, too. Yes. <laughs> and those little bit of just, I'm benefiting from you a whole bunch, but I can help a little bit. Yep. And if we're going in the direction, right, really sticking with this friendly dragon archetype of them being extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Right. Building on the, the the comparison with things like elephants, it is completely within the realm of possibility for the dragons to be doing some of these things on purpose. Yes, absolutely. And say, I like it when the, like, I have learned in my life, or I learned from my parents, that if you give food to the humans, they'll keep the area clean. Mm-hmm. And this is how, so I, I think that with something like our turtle dragon... That is sort of this hippo archetype that we've talked about. You could easily have a classic domestication scenario of like humans start to maintain their areas, maybe put a little, put some barriers up and we get this closer relationship. But with our desert sloth dragons, you could see this pattern of a much more of a mutualistic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. symbiotic relationship. I, I I don't know why this is the scenario that played out in my head of them doing things on purpose, but having a moment where a dragon is letting a person ride on their back and the other dragons has that moment. Like, I don't want a person riding. It's like, I know it may seem weird up first, but if you give them a branch, best fly swatter you could ever ask for. Right. <laughs> and then all they want to do is sit there. They weigh nothing. Yep. And so then you walk around, no flies, buddy. No flies. And they're just having a great old yeah, time. They love it. They love it. Yeah. They love being up there. <laughs> they are so happy up there. Simple, simple creatures. Give them a stick, put them on your back. You'll be happy. They'll be happy. Win, win. Yeah. Well, and then if we get in, like when we get to like the really characteristic, you know, small Mushu figment, 
if you were if they do become domesticated if down the line species then absolutely we would have house friendly dragons oh, yeah and I, now they would be standing up more regularly because we said that's adorable right I, breed the ones that stand up a whole bunch and i think that like up until now we've mostly been keeping it within the realm of like the lead up to yes. how, how do you sort of evolve a very very natural way this relationship this body shape but also this ability to be social and friendly if we permit ourselves in any instance to take the next step and go all right the humans decided to actively domesticate them that's great because now we can do whatever we want yep all all uh, doors are open <laughs> because domestication is artificial slight the the idea of domestication is the assumption that the humans involved know what they're doing yes. that they go all right we're going to leave out the aggressive ones with the giant horns. Yep. Every time there's a new batch of babies, we're going to pick our favorite ones that are the cutest, friendliest, nicest ones that look the way we want. And they're going to breed. And that's how you get dogs. Yes. That's well, how you do what we did to dogs yep. in, you know, uh, several thousand years mm -hmm. to create. Yeah. If we get our uh, little dragons that from any of our category, they could mm -hmm. be our little pterosaur dragons they could be little lizard dragons that if the humans went hey these are eaten out of the garbage i'm gonna take some and put them in my home and introduce breeding pairs to each other now you can make whatever kind of dragon you want yep well and and i love the comparison with dogs because that is that is by far the most fascinating example of domestication for me just because we have actually evolved alongside together. We've been together for so yes. long. There's th there's things in our genetics that are because we've been hanging out with dogs yes. and they have things in their genetics because we've been, I mean, tons of things now that we've domesticated them, but ancient things because we have been yep. together. So I love that tandem development and, and tandem association where we are just, that in this world, you would have that same thing of like, well, I can't think of, a world without dragons like right. that's weird that's like as saying like what if a world didn't have doors like, i don't know that's yeah that's weird well and you'd have these those studies mm -hmm. like we do with dogs where it's like yeah we've done studies that there is a psychological reaction in a dog's brain when it sees a human yes that there's this built-in thing you could have this scenario it's like yeah these dragons have been evolving alongside people in this region for so long and with such a close relationship that there is a physiological behavioral response when these species see each other. Well, and this is why you see all those things of like newborn puppies and kittens running up to strangers on the street because yes. in their brain, when they see a human, they don't see large potential predator. They say, oh, a human. A human, a dog's best friend. A potential, but someone who is supposed to help me. <laughs> yes. And so that absolutely sets us up for all of these friendly dragons, strays, finding small children who need help and yes. befriending them and helping them escape their abusive family. And that's the, if you can get that super close relationship, you get that benevolence. Yes. That, that even if it's not, you know, always storybook benevolence yeah. of like, I want to help you meet the love of your life. Blah, yes. blah. But I'm that, here to help you on your journey. It's right. But I'm here. I'm here. But and like, you're here. There are legitimate stories in the real world of animals, domesticated animals, but also wild animals mm -hmm. finding a lost young member of another species and helping. Yes. Like, all right. I know where your family lives. I will take you over there. Yep, yep. And we will go. I could use a snack. Mm -hmm. I will now head in that direction and you can come with me and I know I'll get food when I get there and you can be at home. That sort of uh, shared understanding of the uh, of each other's species. Yeah, of what we each need. I, I can tell what you're needing help with. I you when you said ground sloth, that was the that was the <laughs> revelatory turning point in this episode for me. Where I went, yes, that is it. Because that was my biggest the entire time I was looking through this, going, why are they going to stand up? Yeah. Why are you yeah. all? St I know I the wasn't answer. even thinking about standing. I was like, yeah. whatever, we'll get there. I guess. <laughs> I know that the answer from a now design the, perspective is so you can have hands. Now the pterosaur <laughs> dragons mm -hmm. are already standing up. Yes, that's actually a much easier transition. <laughs> it's the lizard ones. Also, this means we have somehow, inexplicably, 
in our dragons series invoked Xenarthrans twice. Yes. <laughs> which is a very strange thing. I would not have predicted even once ahead of our dragon series that Xenarthra would make it in here. I mean, these are armored creatures with mighty claws that eat fire ants. That's uh, yeah, we that's yeah, the fire's going the wrong direction, but you're close. <laughs> that's how it starts. You yes. start with the fire coming. <laughs> Got to get in. in your belly. You have to get the fire in your belly. And then you uh, eat some rocks or something. <laughs> this is fantastic. So we've got, uh, and if, there are different ways we could go with our different dragons, but I like the the sort of basic premise of close interactions in nature with some species, a lineage of our turtle dragons that kind of loses that hippo-like aggression yes. through some sort of bottleneck or some sort of event that leaves them being sort more like a cow yep, yep. that is a little bit easier to deal with, that is more of a, a herding animal. The idea of a close proximity relationship with our East Asian dragons along the shorelines where they get this reputation as benevolent or we work alongside each other, and this notion of these upright tree-eating, rotund, sloth-shaped, or therizinosaur-shaped lizard dragons that just develop a dog-like relationship. Yes. With Who's the dog? Uh, we yeah, leave that up yeah, to the... Yeah. To the dog-like relationship, all right? Relationship. That is the respectable like. way to... <laughs> <laughs> We're all dogs here. Uh, is very cool. Yes. That, that social group living, tolerant of other species, not a care in the world because I'm gigantic. Yep, yep. And so I don't need those big horns and I don't need to be svelte because I don't have to take off across the savanna to run away from stuff. Oh man, well, and I just got the cool image of the East Asian dragons having that that uh, the, that situation that's happened with like humpback whales and dolphins of person being in the water and then them chasing off potential predators mm -hmm. you know of, of acting as a, a a guard dog around them you know and humpback whales have done that with smaller like cetaceans and seals where they will see orcas or you know sharks coming toward them and will just put their body in between mm -hmm. i'd love the idea that's like you know someone in the water and freaking out when they see something moving is like no no it's just a dragon you're you're safer than you could ever be in the water right now. Right. The drag. The, there's a dragon here. They're not going to let exciting. anything mess with you. The sea serpents. Yeah. No. No. From that other season nope. of Spooky. Mm -mm. Th those you got to watch yeah, out for. Be careful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the dragon mimic sea serpents. That's the real. That's the real problem. I saw a giant eye staring at. That's bad news. You don't want to yep. go that way. Go find a dragon. Well, <laughs> go find find your nearest dragon. Well, and honestly, the idea we talked about, you know. Uh, one species developing the habit of hanging around another species because mm -hmm. that's where food ends up being. That's where you get resources. But also completely precedented in nature, the idea of sticking around another species because none of the dangerous mm -hmm. things are going to come near you. Or it's like, yeah, if you can get away with hanging out next to elephants, do that. Yes, because yeah. nothing's going to mess with you yep. if you're next to an elephant. The idea of our big sloth-shaped dragons, even if they're not, you know, covered in claws no. and stuff, like you said, an elephant, even without its tusks, is extremely dangerous. Yes, absolutely. The, not, the predatory dragons that we evolved are not going to try to hunt you at the feet of these mm -hmm. big herbivorous friendly dragons. Another pressure, another benefit yes. to our humans. Or even other species. These dragons don't have to just be friendly to humans. Yeah. They could be friendly to all sorts of species. Oh, but you, and you could get a cool, like, close association with East Asian ones of, like, if they just have that, you know, I'm not aggressive toward you, but I have aggression toward that predator because it hunts my babies. Mm -hmm. So I end up often chasing away yeah. this predator. And then people go, we need to pay thanks. If We need oh, to yeah, pay thanks. Yeah. So we are going to gather on the dock and offer food and then just over generations and generations the dragons know that at this time each month you come up to the dock and you'll be fed so that they hang around and mm -hmm. you get this this just mutualistic uh relationship going yeah and that that ties nicely with the fact that lots of east asian dragons were somewhat deified you know somewhat yes worshipped and considered akin to gods Oh yeah, I like all, I like these. That's cool. J uh, blanket disclaimer to all of our listeners: please don't go out into the world and try to make friends with wild animals. Nope. 
That's a bad idea. We are talking about ancient relationships. Long, <laughs> ancient, long, long generational yep. symbiotic relationships. Uh, always be safe around wildlife. Yes. Don't don't get yourself hurt. <laughs> uh, it's it is my biggest thing. I liked to give people uh, give people as a piece of advice when I was at the aquarium when this sort of thing was come up is don't touch or feed any animal that you don't personally know and lives in your house. Yes. <laughs> Just don't. If it's someone else's animal, you have to ask before you do that. And if it's not. Then just don't oh, leave them that's alone. A, that's a wild animal. Let them be them. So, as fun <laughs> as this is, you should not go find a wild dragon Mm-mm. and try to feed it. Um, that's bad news. No. The, uh, don't do it. Domesticated dragons are not the same as wild dragons, <laughs> so you can't. You can't. They're even not, even the ones in the zoos, these are still wild animals. Even if you're in a nature in a park, mm-hmm. yep. in a natural a national park. Uh, we all, we've all seen those news stories every now and then someone tried to take a selfie with the dragon and then they got hurt. Oh, and, and they approached likely cause they were being fed. That's why they came up to the person. Then people are feeding the dragons Mm -hmm. and they keep coming closer. Do you try to take a selfie? Cause either you see a little baby dragon and you're like, that's really cute, but there's a mother mama dragon nearby and mama dragon's not going to be happy that you're near the baby. And, And the social media posts of like, of keepers doing stuff like that. Those usually are not AZA facilities. That's true. That is not how you interact with the dragon in AZA. Absolutely. Mm -mm. So practice, be, be smart. (laughs) Be dragon wise. Be dragon wise. (laughs) (laughs) That is a rule. It's one of the rules in our spooky verse. Yes. Uh, is you have to be dragon wise. If someone would like to uh, make mock us up some informational warning signs and guide signs <laughs> for, for dragon wise, dragon wise, yeah, you know they say the real trouble with designing safety features in national parks <laughs> is that there is significant overlap <laughs> between the smartest dragon. And the most ignorant person. <laughs> they, uh, they see a number them. of moments in How to Train Your Dragon for evidence of this. <laughs> this has been a lot. This is a weird episode. Yeah. Um, we are really excited about the idea of Cutie. Yes. We are 100% on board for doing more of these. We hope people like them. There is every chance that cutie episodes in the future will be more normal than this. Yeah, because a lot <laughs> more of like times, typical spooky yeah, episodes. Very often when we do a theme, we're like, here's all these monsters that fit in this theme. There's also this creature that fits in this theme, but it's a sweetheart. Right. Well, yeah, so but it doesn't spooky match monsters. Yeah. And so we're like, yeah, here's monsters of Greek mythology. Here's sea monsters. Here's plant monsters. And sometimes it's like, yeah, this there's also this one, but that's not a monster. Mm-mm. That's an adorable friend. Yeah, yeah, that is that is to <laughs> to be be buddies with, and therefore it does not fit spooky. Yeah, cutie uh, is now our <laughs> opportunity, our excuse to throw in something extra. Uh, so if people really like this, we'll keep doing it. Yes, we'll please. do this in future years as well. Let us know your thoughts. We would we want to hear them. Go on to the Discord. There's the whole. A channel on there for you to discuss and we will have our live stream next saturday november 11th at 3 p.m we will have our spooky live stream open to everybody yes on youtube anyone can join it is at 7 p.m eastern time which will hopefully get most of our audience yep, yep. apologies to those of you uh who won't be able to make it but please come join us and talk with us about speculative evolution spooky and stuff like you said well check out the discord check out our social media if all has gone according to plan, by the time you're listening to this, there will be all sorts of fun discussions that have been have ha- been happening. Plus, we're hoping some fan art. Yeah, we love. We always love to see fan art. Love the fan art so much. So if you are inspired at any point during our spooky or cutie episodes to sketch something, put together a piece of art, please feel free to share it with us. And if you're cool with us posting it on the fan art section of our website, let us know that and let us know how to credit you. We are happy to do that. And with this, we can we can wrap up. We can wrap up finally. Yeah, we can wrap up the, the QT and therefore it as the end cap to spooky season with all, with the, the live stream left. But we're we're done with episodes. This is it for the, the and and you better believe we will be back for more spooky. In a year. Perhaps, because this was a fun year. Dragons was great. So much fun. There will be another theme next year. There will be another four episodes in October. And hey, don't be surprised if there's a fifth episode next year where we pick something cute. Yay! 
thank you all so much for joining us for Spooky this year and every year. Spooky yeah. has become a huge hit. It it is such a delight how much fun people seem to have because because we have a blast doing it. Like it's it's oh, yeah. so much fun getting to do it. And the fact that it seems like it triggers a similar uh, amount of joy for you all listening, that just makes it all, all the more worth it. Like I just I, I am warm and fuzzy after every spooky season. I am so happy and just fulfilled. We hope that you have enjoyed it. Uh, come back next next year, next October. Yeah. Until then, you can listen to the normal episodes. And yeah, there will be normal episodes. <laughs> episode 180 or something. I don't know where we are. In the oh, list. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere around there. Somewhere in the uh, 178 is yeah, probably coming I, up. Yep, yep. That's probably what's happening. Also, the end of the year Q&A yes. uh, is going to be posted very, very soon after this comes out. So keep your eyes out for the Q&A form. Uh, and then we're going to be heading toward the end of the year. And before you know it, we'll have our anniversary live stream. <laughs> and before you know it, it'll be Croc and Snake Month. And then before you know it, it's spooky. And there's Dragon Con and it's spooky. And it's Dragon Con and it's spooky. <laughs> Dragon Every, Con right around just, the corner. <laughs> it's just an endless circle. This is how my brain often looks at things. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.